Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, and welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I sit down with Dr. Jen Simmons. Dr. Jen started her professional career as Philadelphia's first fellowship trained breast surgeon. After spending 17 years as Philadelphia's top breast surgeon, her own illness led her to discover functional medicine. She left traditional medicine in 2019 and founded Real Health MD with the purpose of helping women anywhere along the breast cancer journey truly heal. Dr. Jen is on a mission to change the impact of breast cancer by empowering millions of women to take control of their health and create the life they want. She created her signature course, My Answer to Breast Cancer, to give women the tools to ditch their diagnosis and design their destiny. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Dr. Jen, but before I do, just a couple things to mention. First, a reminder to head over to my website, at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. And second, I want to take a moment to thank the Carl Felt Center who makes the show possible. Hi, Dr. Jen. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm really happy to have you today. I'm so happy to be here. That was a beautiful introduction. Thank you. My pleasure. And first, I would just love to hear a little bit about your journey and what led you to become a breast surgeon. Yeah. So um, there was actually never a time when I didn't know about breast cancer. So as a child, I had a first cousin. She was a woman named Linda Creed. Now, Linda was a singer-songwriter in the 1970s and 1980s. She wrote all the music for the spinners and the stylistics. She wrote 54 hits in all, but her most famous song was The Greatest Love of All. So she wrote that song as the title track to the movie The Greatest starring Muhammad Ali in 1977, but it really received its acclaim in March of 1986 when Whitney Houston released it to the world. At that time, it would spend 14 weeks at the top of the charts. So you can only imagine what it must feel like for a 16-year-old to have literally a rock star as a cousin. (laughs) Amazing. A rock star. Like some people use that term figuratively, like, oh, she's a rock star. My cousin was a rock star. She went any, she was the queen of Motown sound. She went anywhere in Philadelphia and the room lit up. I mean, she was a beacon of light. 
So when Whitney released the song in March of 1986, this should have been her greatest time. But she would never know it because she died of metastatic breast cancer in April of 1986. You know, it's been like 43 years and I still can't tell that story without tears coming to my eyes. Um, Linda's life and ultimately her death gave birth to my life's purpose. I did the only thing I knew how to do. I became a doctor. I became a surgeon. I became the first fellowship trained breast surgeon in Philadelphia. And I dedicated my life to a cause that had devastated my family. And I did that for a really long time and I did it really well. And while at the top of my game and doing really innovative things and thinking that I'm making a real profound contribution and difference. So I'm a surgical oncologist and I'm also doing a lot of oncoplastics. So doing a lot of reconstructive services. So, you know, asking women like, let's make the best of this. What don't you like about your breasts? Let's fix it this time around, right? So really thinking that I'm making a huge contribution. And I'm running the cancer program for my hospital. And I'm a wife and a mother and a stepmother and a philanthropist and an athlete. And I have all these balls in the air and I consider myself an expert juggler until one day everything came crashing down for me. So I went from being probably one of the most high functioning people you know, to I can't walk across the room without getting short of breath. I can't sleep at night. I'm on the tennis court one day and I'm on for 10 minutes and I'm someone who can play three hours of tennis and ask like who else still wants to hit. So I'm on the court for 10 minutes. I have chest pain, shortness of breath. All I can think of is, oh, this must be what a heart attack feels like. And so I go to the emergency room. I spend the next three days getting tested from top to bottom. And so three days later, I'm sitting in the office of my friend and colleague and physician, and he diagnoses me with Graves' disease. Now, Graves' disease is an autoimmune disease of the thyroid gland, but it's treated just like cancer because it's life-threatening. And so he tells me that I need to have surgery and radiation and chemotherapy, all these things that I recommend to everyone all day, every day, without hesitation or reservation, right? And the irony is not lost on me, but I'm sitting there and I, it's like I'm in Charlie Brown's classroom. All I can hear is womp, 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 womp. And so I refuse treatment. To this day, I don't know why. I am running an NIH certified cancer program. I live my life by the standard of care. And yet the standard of care when it was applying to me somehow was not acceptable. I start asking questions like, why did this happen? Why would God give me a gland to remove it, annihilate any remaining cells with radiation, and then have to go on lifelong synthetic hormone replacement to replace what the gland is doing? 
why can't instead, why can't I heal this gland? And I was told, because you can't, because diseases are not reversible. And that really stuck with me. Is that true? Are diseases reversible? There must be some way to reverse this process, right? And so I go where I tell everyone never to go. I go to Dr. Google, <laughs> right? I was waiting for that. <laughs> yeah. So I think that I'm a pretty educated consumer. So I figure I can weed out the, the trash from the truth. And I Google, how do you hear, heal your thyroid? And I see list after list after list that says diet, 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 diet. Now, as a traditionally trained physician, we're taught almost nothing about the value of nutrition, nourishment, food, almost nothing, right? And so when I read this, I thought, well, do I know enough about diet? And the truth is that because I wasn't overweight, I thought I did know enough. But something in me said, you know what, there must be more. Maybe I should learn more. So I go and I enroll in IIN, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Now, this is a certificate program that before I joined, I spent probably five hours on the phone driving them crazy saying, I'm a physician. Are you sure that there are things for me to learn? <laughs> right? Like so snooty, so snooty booty. Uh, I'm an IIN grad too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, you know how many of us there are? <laughs> I'm a ton. Thank God for Josh Rosenthal, right? Like he opened my eyes to the world. Okay. I agree. So I enroll and I'm in one of the very first lectures and a man named Mark Hyman walks on the stage. And he introduces himself as a functional medicine physician. And at this point, I'm a doctor for about 20 years. And I said, there is no such thing as a functional medicine physician. What is this quack talking about? <laughs> right? And then I remember that I am here for a reason. So listen up, pay attention. You paid thousands of dollars to be here. Like, pay attention. And so I did. And within five minutes of Mark Hyman speaking, my entire world makes sense. And I know exactly why I got sick so that I could be in that seat on that day, listening to him speak, because this is what I needed to hear. Because the truth is that most disease that we know, and certainly the disease that I had committed my life to, most are preventable and reversible, but they can't be reversed when all you focus on is the disease. The only way to reverse disease is to focus on health and build health. Exactly. Yes. Ah. Right. Right. And, and conventional medicine doesn't look at that. Mm -mm. No. So, you know, in that, in that one hour, I learned that my entire focus in breast cancer was focused on the wrong thing because I was focused on the tumor, right? All of traditional treatment is focused on the tumor. 
And what happens when you focus on the tumor? The tumor grows. Hmm. What we focus on grows, right? So (laughs) I actually went home that day and I enrolled in IFM, the Institute for Functional Medicine. That day. (laughs) Yeah. I'm an early adopter. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I like get things and I'm like, yes, this is me. This is also me. Like, let's do it. Let's do it all. So I would say that there were three or four years where I didn't sleep very much (laughs) because at one time I was full-time in IIN, IFM, still working, still mothering, still wifing, like, you know, a lot on my plate. (laughs) My husband tells the story very differently, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Does he say you were a nice person to live with? No. No, I was not. I was not pleasant to live with. Um, my my family, my husband, my children, they took a flyer with me. They made a huge sacrifice with me. And you know, not for nothing. When I when I finished and got my IFM certification, I did walk away from my surgery job. And I I walked away because I knew that if I stayed, I would just be part of the problem. Because all surgery does is usher people from you know, one place to the other without changing their trajectory or their path, right? We're like delaying the inevitable, right? We're cutting out the tumor, but we're not changing anything fundamentally with people's health when we do that. So the only way to fundamentally change people's health is to figure out why they got cancer in the first place, meet them there and figure out how to redirect the train, right? The train is heading in the wrong direction. That's not where you want to go, right? Right. And so I just no longer believed in traditional medicine. Now, I haven't thrown the baby out with the bathwater. So for everyone who thinks that I've lost my marbles, my marbles are intact. And I know that there are there are things in the traditional medical world that are necessary, helpful, right? Needed, but they cannot be the entirety. Because when we look at traditional treatment, and we can start to break that down a little bit, but when we look at traditional treatment, it may come with some short-term gain, but there's lots of long-term detriment. And without functional medicine or like principles, you're just on the fast road to the next illness. And in many cases, it will only, traditional treatment will only accelerate what that next illness is. Because the truth is, if you look at the breast cancer population, the majority of women with breast cancer do not die of breast cancer. They die of cardiovascular disease. And that is part and parcel to two things. The first is that the same thing that causes breast cancer, chronic inflammation, also causes heart disease. So unless you, unless you somehow get rid of that inflammation, you're just on that same path. The other thing is that most of our treatments for breast cancer, not surgery, but radiation, chemotherapy, all of the anti-hormonal treatments, they accelerate cardiovascular disease. So, you know, maybe maybe this person wouldn't have developed cardiovascular disease until they were 70. But 
because we treated them for breast cancer. Now they're developing it in their 60s. So I, I think we need to do a much better job as a medical community in deciding who does and doesn't need traditional treatments, in figuring out where the root cause of people's illness is coming from, and in personalizing treatment. Because the one size fits all is not helping anyone. No. And women are suffering. And they're suffering because of us. And that's scary. Mm. So it just, it must have just felt so good to realize there there's a different way that you're no longer going to be, I mean, I hate to say part of the problem. You, you actually said that. Mm-hmm. You must have felt liberated in a way. Like I could help people in a different way. That is absolutely what fueled me through these last four years, right? Since I left. But remember, it's hard to leave a tribe, right? Because what does the tribe do when you leave? Turn their back on you. They disown you, right? So now I went from being the smartest person in the room, right? To she's lost her skills. She's lost her mind. You, you know, she doesn't know what she's talking about. That's, this is not her specialty, right? Like mm. people tend to discredit what they don't know and don't understand. Oh, so true. And so, you know, it, it's a lot, it's a lot. And <laughs> my husband and I talk about this all the time. I'd rather be right than happy. And so like, I'm a truth seeker. And so I continue to seek the truth and stand for the truth. And that makes me like not the most popular person all the time. I'm part of your tribe. (laughs) Yeah. And that's okay. But sometimes it can feel pretty lonely. And there are those moments when you're like, wait, am I wrong? Like, did I... Did I somehow get this wrong? And then I remember that I didn't get it wrong, but just people need to like attack me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I I completely understand. Yeah. Now, you know, what stages do you mostly see in your practice? Yeah. So I see everyone except it's it's amazing to me that, well, I shouldn't say that. I so rarely see the pre-vivors. You don't. I so rarely see the people that are like, Jen, help me to prevent breast cancer. I want to do everything I can do to prevent breast cancer. Like, I I get that almost never. And can you just explain, I I know what a pre-viver is, but for those listening that don't know that term. So a pre-viver is someone who... Like they have a strong family history or they have a BRCA mutation or they have some reason to believe that they're at very high risk for breast cancer. And so those are people that are sometimes like going to the surgeon to have prophylactic surgery or they're taking tamoxifen. And I think that that is largely because they don't know that there are other options because the truth is that like that, that rhetoric 
of personal empowerment is it's just not out there. No. Like the 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 tagline is that if you have a BRCA mutation, breast cancer is inevitable for you. And really the only options are surgery or tamoxifen or, you know, and I think the physicians are so afraid of empowering the patient because they like somehow need to feel like they're doing something and they need to be the hero of the story. And the truth is that we can't be anyone's hero. We can be someone's guide, but we can't be their hero. There's no such thing. Well, it leads me because you are a surgeon and, and a lot of people are doing prophylactic mastectomies because they have the BRCA gene. What do you say, you know, how do you feel about, about that? I mean, I'm guessing you did a lot of those, right? Yeah. More than I can count, more than I can count. And because of the kind of surgery that I was popular for, um, I did so, so, so many prophylactic mastectomies because I did nipple smearing procedures, because I did immediate reconstructions. Um, but you know, when we really look at the numbers, right. And all of these statistics are based on people who did not adopt any functional medicine techniques because it wasn't a thing, right? So when we look at the BRCA mutation population, the incidence of breast cancer is about 84% over one's lifetime, right? That means that 16% didn't develop breast cancer. So there's not 100% penetrance of this of this gene, meaning that 100% of people with a BRCA mutation are not getting breast cancer. So we have to ask why, right? What else is in play? And we know very well about epigenetic influence, about what the environment does to your genes and how the environment determines which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off, which genes are expressed and which genes aren't. So the popular saying is your genes may load the gun, but the environment pulls the trigger. And Though we cannot control whether or not you have a loaded gun, but we can control whether or not you shoot it, right? That is the human part. And that is the part that we can control. And wouldn't it be so wonderful if we empowered people with that information? But we don't. We don't. We downplay it. We downplay it. But do you think doctors know this? They, did you know this? I didn't know it then, yeah. but the thing is that there is no information seeking in medicine. It's like, once you know something, you don't want to unknow it. And nothing could be more demonstrative of that than what's going on with the Women's Health Initiative, right? So in 2003, the Women's Health Initiative was halted and we were all told that hormone replacement causes breast cancer, right? And we bought it hook, line, and sinker. No one questioned the validity of the study. 
No one questioned the timing, despite the fact that they halted the study after two years when we know that breast cancers take somewhere between five to 10 years to develop. So why would we accept that information that after two years we saw breast cancers, the study's over? Like, it's crazy to me, but yet it was 100% accepted. Everyone stopped giving hormone replacement and what happened? Millions of women for generations suffered, really suffered, okay? And we don't have less breast cancer. We don't have less anything. We have more miserable people, right? Yeah. And it just makes me think, I had ovarian cancer when I was 29 and I needed a total hysterectomy. So I have been on hormone replacement ever since. When I got more knowledgeable, I decided to go on bioidenticals. Bioidentical, exactly. But, you know, it's still, people aren't getting support with this. I mean, to this day, I still don't know, you know, am I doing the right thing? I, it, I feel great, but I know it's horrible. It's horrible. It's like a sin, like no one wants to talk about it. And, you know, a retraction of that paper was printed. Do you know who read it? Like me and three other people. <laughs> wow. It's just, it is so hard for doctors to unring a bell. It just is. They think when they know something that it's truth. And they never question it again. And we think of physicians as critical thinkers, and they may have been at one time. But the truth is that once you get into medical school and you get into that, like, okay, I'm learning this. If I'm learning this, it must be real and true, right? And so we stop, we stop thinking critically and we just go into rote memorization. And you know who the smartest person in the class is? It's not the critical thinker. It's the person that can memorize the most, <laughs> that can regurgitate the information, right? It's the brown nose of the group, right? Right. That's, that's the smartest doctor right? And the person that's asking questions and saying, is this really true? Well, you know what happens to that person? They're ostracized. Called a quack. <laughs> yep. How dare you question conventional wisdom? That's what happens. Like we are told to not ask questions. We're really taught to do that. Mm. And it's terrible. It is. It is. The tumor is only a symptom of cancer, not the cause. Hello, I'm Dr. Michael Carlfeld. I'm the owner of the Carlfeld Center in Meridian, Idaho. We specialize in cutting edge integrative oncology care, addressing the cause and not just the symptom of cancer. There are 11 factors you need to address when diagnosed with cancer. To learn more of what they are, get my free ebook when you visit thecarfoldcenter.com. Along with the ebook, I will email you a free webinar series where world-renowned specialists will tell you what you need to do to address these 11 factors. You'll hear from experts like Jane McLellan, Dr. Paul Anderson, Dr. Neil McKinney, Dr. William Lee, Dr. Nasha Winters, and Dr. Isaac Elias. 
Don't miss out on this life-saving information. I also offer a free 15-minute cancer consult where we can go over where you are at in your cancer journey and how the cutting-edge therapies we offer can benefit you. Give the Carful Center call at 208-338-8902 or visit our website at thecarfulcenter.com. I wanted to ask you, you know, I know you said inflammation is the root of of all chronic disease. How do you know if you're inflamed? Yeah. So there are a number of ways to know. First of all, we've been like sold this bill of goods that as we get older, we shouldn't feel well, right? Like it's normal to be tired. It's normal to be achy. It's normal to not sleep. Like, you know, that's just what happens when you get older. And the reason that we're told that, the reason that that is normalized is because traditional medicine doesn't know how to help you with that, right? So they just normalize it. But if you're gaining weight, if you're not sleeping, if you don't have energy to get through your day, if you're achy, you know, these are these things are not normal, right? And if you have all those things, you're inflamed. If you don't have clear skin, you're inflamed. Like there, there are so many signs that the body gives us like saying, hello, this is not working, right? But we don't listen and we don't listen to the whispers. So when we don't listen to the whispers, what do we get? We get sledgehammers. We get crazy diagnoses like breast cancer, right? I can't tell you how many people come to me and they are like, yeah, I'm healthy. And I like look at their chart because I know I took notes. And I was like, well, don't you have breast cancer? And they're like, yeah, well, I'm healthy, but I have breast cancer. And I'm like, yeah, it actually doesn't work that way. (laughs) So sometimes it's not always obvious. And there are ways that I can look at labs and know there are markers of inflammation that we check on labs, like C-reactive protein or SED rates, things like that. I can look at someone's CBC and know if their immune system is healthy or not. Like most of us are walking around with white blood cell counts below what they should be. Like a white blood cell count should be around 5.5. And there's plenty of people walking around with white blood cell counts of four, 3.5. And that's because they either have heavy metal exposure or they have mold exposure or they have uh, gut problems that they don't even know about. I was talking to a patient yesterday And I put her, like I do all of my cancer patients, I put her on a parasite cleanse. I do it once a year because parasites are so ubiquitous. People are like, oh, well, I never have foreign travel or I don't eat sushi. And I was like, do you eat strawberries? Because like you can get it from anything. Like it doesn't matter. And so she was so reluctant to do the parasite cleanse. But, you know, she was diagnosed with cancer and like, August or something like that. So it took me till January to convince her to do it. So she's about, and she said, you know, I have no digestive complaints. I, I, I know that we're just like chasing nothing. Like there's no way. So she's day, she's either day four or five on her parasite lens. And she calls me and she says, Jen, there's a 10 inch snake in the toilet. <laughs> Oh my God. (laughs) And it's like, you just never know. So like fast forward a month later, after she does the cleanse, I have them do it for like 
three weeks. And if they find a lot of stuff, maybe I have them do it for four weeks or so. So she calls me after four weeks. She's like, I didn't realize that this is how you were supposed to feel. I thought brain fog was normal. I thought it was normal to walk into a room and forget why you came in. I thought it was normal to fumble for my words. I I thought it was normal to have to take a nap every day at three o'clock. She's like, I cannot believe how good I feel, how much energy I have, how well I'm sleeping at night. She couldn't sleep for more than four to five hours a night. And now she sleeps eight hours a night without an issue. Amazing. Right? And the funniest thing is, she said, I used to be really itchy once a month and I couldn't figure out why. And now parasites are very active around the full moon. She's like, now I realize that it was just the parasites itching me at the full moon. Amazing. Crazy. Right? Crazy. So... We have lots of things that inflame us. For some people, it's parasites. For some people, it's metals. For some people, it's fungus. For some people, it's trauma that they have not dealt with. It's an irritating relationship at work that they can't sever. It's a relationship that's killing them. And so we get our inflammation from all different places. And it's okay because we can reverse that inflammation and it's not done until it's done, right? So anywhere at any stage along the way, it's not done until it's done. And so you can start anywhere and build your health. But that's really the key is that everyone has a treatment plan, right? Everyone who has a cancer diagnosis gets a treatment plan. But what everyone needs is a health plan, a health plan to make that treatment plan work better because they do, and to recover from both treatment, but from why you got sick in the first place, right? Because health is not the absence of disease. Health is optimal function. And what we want to help everyone do is achieve health. That's really what we want for everyone. And when you build health, disease goes away. Right. And you just feel so much better. So much better. So much better. So most people, after we work together for a year, they feel better than they ever felt in their lives, despite their cancer diagnosis. Because it's probably the first time that they knew what it was like to be healthy. Right. Right. And like you said, this woman who did the parasite cleanse, she had no idea. No idea. That anything was wrong. She thought everything was fine. She had no digestive complaints at all. So people think like, oh, I would know if I have parasites. You don't know. You don't know. My whole team is doing it this month. I know. You're making me think I'm going to call you. (laughs) My whole team is doing it this month. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I wanted to go into diet. Uh, I believe you are into plant-based diet for cancer and for, okay, okay. I am. I'm one of those. You're one of those. So I'd love to hear your reasonings and all that. So part of this is where my heart personally comes from. So I'm not going to tell you that 
there's not any ideology here because there there is some certainly i have a hard time wrapping my head around animals being put here purely for the purposes of our consumption i don't know if i'm right or wrong but that has little to do with how i feel about a cancer diet so when i work with people when we start off for the first 3 months i ask them to be whole food plant based grain free so i don't have people eating grains and this is for a multitude of reasons the first reason is that for most people not all most people cancer is a metabolic disease and 84% of americans are not metabolically healthy. So the likelihood that the person coming to me with cancer is metabolically healthy is nearly zero. I'm not going to say it's zero, but it's nearly zero. So the first thing I want to do is get that glycemic index down, get their insulin secretion down, therefore get the insulin-like growth factor down and decrease the stimulation to tumor growth. So one of the best ways to do that is to pull grains out of the diet because grains do have a high glycemic index and when you remove grains from the diet you remove almost all junk and processed food. You also remove a significant amount of chemical burden because when you take grains out of the diet you take away glyphosate you take away herbicides fungicides pesticides all the stuff that comes along with grain growth and so that is one of the first things i do and it is amazing how much better people feel when they pull grains out of their diet for the people that really really push back I tell them like later on we can talk about adding them back in when you're well and when cancer is no longer a part of the list of things that are part of you but the truth is at the end of the day grains are seeds of grass and we are not grass eaters we are not ruminators we have a very different digestive tract than ruminators do so in everyone grains are going to be recognized as somewhat foreign as difficult to digest some more than others but i i don't trust when people say i don't have a problem with grains because i don't think that we have very much insight into what we do and don't have a problem with and i have been proven right about that time and time and time and time again case in point the woman with 10-inch steaks coming out of her bottom that didn't have any digestive problems and didn't need a parasite class, right? So I think we have very little insight into how our body functions optimally. And because we haven't been paid attention and we haven't been taught. So the debate comes down to in the cancer world, because I, I, I think everyone can pretty much agree like, broccoli is good for people and cauliflower is good for people and brussels sprouts and you know colorful vegetables and fruit and you know i think everyone can agree that these are these are healthy things for people to consume so the question comes down to like where do you get your protein right 
So there are some people that think that like, you know, you want to keep the glycemic index down. And so you want to, you don't want to rely on plant-based proteins. And so, you know, those are the people in the animal protein camp. And I have not seen an issue with plant-based proteins in my practice. So I do try to get people to get their protein from plant-based sources. But when we started to talk, I have my feelings about it, but that this needs to be an individual decision. And so I am not going to disown a patient who insists that she's not going to give up chicken or meat or like whatever her thing is, because did I help that person by, by deserting them? So you have to meet everyone where they are. And the truth is that we are not bioidentical. We are all bioindividual. So what works best for me and my body is not true for everyone. But I do believe in a whole food plant-based diet and I believe in a low glycemic diet. So I'm very careful and very specific and very particular about how people eat. And we also focus on fasting and we make sure that people are getting healthy fats and meeting their protein needs because a lot of, I don't want to use the word vegan because that's more of an ideology than anything else. Like this isn't about animal cruelty and there are a lot of junk food vegans, right? Right. Like Twizzlers are vegan (laughs) and rest assured, I am not having anyone eating Twizzlers, right? So whole food, plant-based, pick your protein, make sure you're getting your healthy fats. And, you know, what you eat is important, but when and how you eat is important too. And so these are all things that we that we cover when I work with people. Great. You know, I'm curious about the ketogenic diet and how you feel about that, because I know that's yeah very big right now. It is. In cancer recovery. It is. So there are ways of doing the ketogenic diet. Well, first of all, I think it's very hard to be strictly that in that I'm not having a cancer patient check their urine to make sure they're in ketosis. I'm not having them measure their macros. Like I, I, I think that that is a very difficult position to put someone who already has the weight of the world on their shoulders. And there are lots of things to think about and juggle and do while you're cancering. But the principles of the ketogenic diet you know, eating in a way that is low carb, but nutrient dense and making sure that you have those healthy fats in your diet. I think that that's all very important. And I agree with that. What I don't think is good for people is to exist solely on meat and cheese and food-like substances that are keto approved and that kind of thing. Like I think at the end of the day, we need to be smart. We need to eat real food. We need to eat things that are nourishing us, that make sense, right? So 
you know, like I see these bars and stuff, like your body doesn't know what that is. That's not food. So I, I think there are ways to do it, but we have to think about like, is this really healthy? And ask those questions and get real answers. Yeah. Yeah. That's helpful. So any last piece of advice for anyone going through cancer before we get into random round? Absolutely. So the truth is that you have so much more power than you think because you have so much control over your environment. And cancer, for the most part, is an environmental disease. And with very few exceptions, you do not have to make your decisions in a moment or a day, right? And so making sure that you feel like the decision is right for you, asking the questions and get get the answers that you need. Because the patient is the doctor of the future and not that you should feel like you have to take on that whole responsibility yourself, but finding people to work with you that you feel connected to, that you're like, you're speaking the same language, that's really important. That's really important. And that's what's going to propel you forward on your healing journey. And remember, the most important thing is that you have a health plan. The treatment plan will be there. You need a health plan. Mm. Great, great advice. Now, are you ready for random round? I am. I hope so. (laughs) Fill in the blank. Freedom to you is... (laughs) Oh, freedom to me is being able to decide for myself what is best for me. We just spent the last three years debating over medical sovereignty, and it is a frightening situation to have been in. I am so glad to be on the other side of it. I am so glad to have stood my ground but I pray that that our medical sovereignty never comes into question again. Mm. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> we could have a whole other podcast episode about that. Yeah, for sure. If you want to do that, please call me. Okay. The last show you binged and loved. Oh, God. Okay. So <laughs> I'm like in this dual place. I'm obsessed with fashion, obsessed, right? And I'm also on a Jewish journey. So um, I like can't wait for Mrs. Maisel to come back on TV because that was so fabulous and she's so funny and the clothes are like beyond, beyond. Mm, Love that show. Yeah. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? Oh, yeah. I had a lot of training in that space. Remember, like I was a surgeon. So um, it's very, very hard to rattle my cage. And I I just tend to breathe through it and face my fears. Yeah. So I'm I'm not a back off person, but I'll tell you, I'm also not a thrill seeker. So like, you're not going to see me jumping out of a plane. 
I'm not going to get over my fear of doing that. That's just like not necessary. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with that completely. (laughs) If you can have a one hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? Mm. Wow. I don't know. Right now I'm feeling like I want Fauci in a room for an hour. (laughs) Yeah. Like I would just, I would just love to, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know the truth, but I'd love to just have him admit it. What is your favorite go-to snack? Well, you know what? I'm going to go back to that and say like, I I, I think I just want to hang with Bruce Springsteen too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. Like I, I already know Fauci's story. I'm going to take that back. And I'm going to say like, I just down with Bruce and like, you know, shoot the shit and hear about when he wrote all the songs and like, you know, yeah, him or Billy Joel. That might be more fun. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Okay. My favorite snack. Yes. Yeah. So (laughs) I am like crazy addicted to... Like when you take nuts and you like put all those seasonings on them and bake them in the oven and they're like savory and spicy and I I, I can eat so many of them that like my stomach hurts. <laughs> but I try not to do that. Like in my normal day to day, I will have like an apple with almond butter on it or something like that. But if you're asking me what my favorite snack is, like sit me down in front of a bowl of those seasoned nuts and mm. Mm. What is one simple thing that brings you joy? I am so, I'm going to brag a little bit now. I like have a husband that is so like, he just loves me so much and he just wants me to be happy. And he does these random acts of kindness. So yesterday he just went and had my car washed and it's like silly. It's like nothing. He'll go and fill my car with gas so I don't have to do it. Like these things are just incredibly sweet. They're nothing things. And it just makes me so happy. Oh, that's so sweet. That's my love language. My love language is is acts of service or acts of kindness. And so like he knows how to he knows how to speak to me. Like anything that that lightens my load like puts a huge smile on my face. Mm. You know, like if my kids like, here, mom, I got the mail. Like I just, it makes me so happy. Right. It's so beautiful. What is on your nightstand? So right now, uh, Intimate Partners by Maggie, Maggie Sharp. And it is a book about how to build your relationship based on the fact that we all suffer generational trauma. So I don't know if you ever heard this saying, but you either marry or give birth to your work. And it's true. And it's because like, we just continue to do the same things over and over again, trying to get it right. So good, bad, or indifferent, like my marriage is almost, although my husband is a thousand times more thoughtful than my father, our marriage is so, so, so similar to my parents. It, it makes my head spin. And I know that it's just, it's generational habit trying to like make you do the work. 
make you make it better. Right. And so, so that's on my nightstand and a, a pink, like non-digital clock because I like, it has to be super, super dark. And my um, eye mask lip balm, because I cannot stand chap lips. If that's, if there's one pet peeve that I have in this world, it's chap lips. So my lip balm tissues and I would love to say that my cell phone is not on it, but a lot of times it is. On airplane mode, hopefully. (laughs) Well, now I put my charger like across the room. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm no longer keeping my phone on my nightstand at night, but it, it, it like gets there and then I'm away. Yeah. What is your favorite form of exercise? I'm a lifetime non-exerciser. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. <laughs> I hate formal exercise, but I'm a racket sports person. So um, tennis, padel, and but I in my old age, I have had to adopt a yoga practice. And I have a yoga teacher who is like world famous. She's a guru, Erica Taxon. She is just amazing. Um, so I have started yoga in my 50s, in my mid-50s. <laughs> and um, and so that's what I'm doing now. And that's movement. That's still so important. What is one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? Having changed gears midway through and like leaving a huge job and starting over at 50, I am so grateful for the support of my family. Like they really, really, really took a flyer with me and their lives changed so many things changed and they've been so amazingly supportive and patient. And, um, I know that I was hard to live with (laughs) for a long time, maybe still am, and they continue to love and support me. So I'm just incredibly grateful to them. And I've also really like started over with different friends and a different crowd because you know, when you, when you make all these changes, like the old ones don't always fit. Yes. And I've just had amazing, amazing blessings come into my life through a new synagogue, through Torah study, through new friendships and through new professional organizations that the functional medicine world has introduced me to. So I really feel so grateful to the universe to have brought me in this direction and provided me with this amazing, amazing ecosystem. Mm, So beautiful. And and when you're surrounded by like-minded people, it's just the best. It is. It is. And a rising tide lifts all boats. Love it. And last, where can people find you if they want to learn more? Real Health MD. <laughs> Perfect. My website is realhealthmd.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, I'm at Dr. Jen Simmons. And Jen has two N's. It's short for Jennifer. But if you call me Jennifer, I will think I'm in trouble. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so just follow me there. Uh, there's lots of resources on the website, on my social media. 
Uh, I have a YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram. Yeah. Great. Well, Dr. Jen, thank you so, so much. This was such a great conversation and I know people are going to get such great value out of it. So I really, really appreciate your time. I'm glad it's my pleasure. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.